I told you last week that we we're going to be answering the question, can I trust the Bible? Um, you know, there's a lot of religious books out there, right? Uh, there's the Book of Mormon. There is the Koran. Um, there, there is the, the um, Ron L. Hubbard, I believe is his name, with Scientology that has several religious books that he has written um, and people live by them. There is, um, let's see, the Watchtower, Jehovah's Witness, uh, that, where they get all their prophecies from and where they get um, their um, word from God. Hey, I got one of those Saturday. They're getting into astrology. They're getting into astrology, okay. But, uh, but I mean, you know, the, the question we have to ask is, why do we trust the Bible over any other religious book? What makes our religious book the living word of God and there's heresy. Can I trust the Bible? And why should I trust the Bible? And so that's our question we want to answer tonight. Is there any comments on that before we get into our um, uh, catechism answer? What do y'all think about that? Yes, ma'am. Well, history, you know, kind of points back to things and there are places that are directly pointed out in the Bible that are real. Mm -hmm. So you're saying archaeological evidence. So there is, there is uh, yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, a lot of it's living, and it's, you can see that it's living. Right. Um, but there's a sample Yeah, and so uh, just to make sure I'm understanding you right, are you talking about the, the inner testimony? The fact that what it, what it does in our lives and what it speaks to us? And, I think it's in yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. And I agree with that. And actually, he, I believe the, the catechism answers, uh, w at least in one spot, exactly what you're talking about right there. And we'll see that in just a minute. Anybody else? <laughs> the lady behind me, whomever the mouth was. <laughs> Miss Leanne? She spoke of history. Uh-huh. You know, any of us in here can write about history. Uh-huh. But this is a prophecy of God. Right. The future of. Right. And and you know, that's and and and, and it's an inspired word. And we've got to have it because I think it's Matthew 4 4. It says, Man cannot live by bread alone, but right. by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Three times a day, I like to have the bread. Right. But the real thing is the Word of God. Right. That sustains the soul. Amen. Amen. Well, I think of, I think it was Paul that said, if, if I or an angel or anybody bring you anything contrary to the truth, yeah. they're, they're condemned. Right. Let them be uh, anathema. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the Mormons, they came from an angel. Right. You know, they said it was an angel or Paul or whatever. So, That's right. Yeah, and you know I like the fact that um, Paul said even an angel from heaven, because remember what? Remember who came to Joseph Smith? How did he get the Book of Mormon? Right. Yeah. We go off of what Nathan just said on the other side of the argument. Yeah. You know, talking about if anybody has brought or has changed or brings anything else to you, 
why has the Bible been changed so much over history? Right. About the books being taken. Um, why did Martin Luther feel like he needed to change the Bible in uh, the uh, Reformation? Uh, there, there's questions there that on the other side of the argument, yeah. and that's why we answer this question. Mm-hmm. You said that last week, bring stuff you should have known. I was going to bring yeah. And I'm good. I'm good with that. Yeah. And so let, just just because we're recording this too, and I don't know if they heard you or not. So your your argument is that there are um, changes that have been made to the Bible. So what kind of changes? So that I can say them again. What is it? Like the, the books of the Apocrypha. Why? Okay. So why why is it, so the question we have to answer was the Apocrypha ever considered? Scripture, divinely inspired Scripture, because the Catholic Church is the one that included the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. Martin Luther in the Reformation was one of the ones that brought up that it should not be included, and there was reasons behind that. And there was Martin Luther also wanted to remove four other books from the 66 canons that we have now. Mm-hmm. He didn't want revelations. Uh, was it? Uh, Probably Esther, I'd say. Yeah, Esther. Probably uh, James, maybe even Jude. Yeah. Uh, there, there was four other books mm-hmm. that he didn't want included in the, in the new, the new canon. Um, why did those stay? Mm-hmm. And why not get taken out like the rest of the ones? Right. Um, the Apocrypha, if they were wrote in history, because if you go to the dates of them, they're, they're yeah. stuck in between the books of the Old Testaments that we do have. During the time that that the majority of uh, Jew, Jews and Jewish scholars will agree that it was a time of silence, that there was no direct revelation given to man by God during those 400 years, basically between Malachi and Matthew is what he's talking about. All right. If you, if you look at the history of where the, the Jewish church was going in that 400 years, there's probably a pretty good reason there was silence. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the Jews don't use the Apocrypha in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the Catholics and one other denomination. That, that, that tells you something right there. Why don't Why don't the Jews use the Apocrypha? But, but because they, like you just said, they didn't consider it sound, uh, not doctrine. Um, Divinely inspired scripture without error. That's right. They, they didn't consider it, they, 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 it was not infallible. It had teachings in it that was contrary to the truth that they knew to be revelation from God. It had teachings and it had history. Right. But it didn't fire with the other books of the Bible as far as the message. And that was one of the criteria to develop canon. One of the criteria was, does this book include truth that that is also in agreement with... um, Truth that has already been revealed in, by things that have already been determined to be divinely inspired. That was one of the criteria. You know, another criteria was um, was it written by the the by a prophet? And God even told in His Word, "Here's how you will know a true prophet." God also said in the Book of Exodus that He commanded inspired men of God to write His Word as He declared it to them. And so there were several criteria that they used from what we already knew to be proven the Word of God. Not maybe it is, but proven by God Himself, by what God did, by how He revealed Himself. Um, they, they tried everything according to those books. 
and, and then painting the picture of Jesus. You know, every book in the Bible paints the picture of Jesus, mm -hmm. the life, death, resurrection. Um, those books didn't meet that criteria. Right. Does everybody know what, what he's talking about when he says the Apocrypha? Okay. The Apocrypha is um, 11 or 12, sometimes depending on which ones you look at, but it's either 11 or 12 books that uh, the Jews considered to be good reads and beneficial as far as for a, for a uh, follower of God to read them. But they did not... The, what does the word Apocrypha mean? Do you know that? Oh, I, I can't remember. It's got a, it don't say Apocrypha. It's Latin. Um, it's got a long curve, and I couldn't even pronounce it. Somebody, uh, um, hang on. Apocrypha. The word Apocrypha, I, I don't know if this is the exact definition. You can look it up on your phone. But honestly, the reason why they call it the Apocrypha is because it's, it means writings not considered genuine. So in other words, they were writings that even the Jews would look at and say, these books are, are a benefit to some degree for you to read them, but just don't consider them direct word from God and everything in them is infallible and it will lead you in the truth and that so it may it may be of benefit in some ways for you to read them but they're not divinely inspired and that's the way the Jews considered these books now what happened and I don't know exactly when I'd have to do the research and see somewhere along the somewhere probably in the medieval times I would say uh, the Roman Catholic Church added these books of the Apocrypha to the canon they were never considered canon. And then whenever the Reformation happened, they came in, and you might, if you ever have a, um, I think it's a 1611 King James Version, uh, the authorized edition is what it's called, it will have the Apocrypha in it. And it was the first book. And so you will have the Old Testament, then you will have 12 books of the Apocrypha, and then you will have the New Testament. Now those are the ones that include like the Enoch, the book. Book of Enoch, uh, the first and second Maccabees, uh, Tobit, uh, the Book of Wisdom. Um, yeah, they're Maccabees right now. But I tell you, I was thinking too. I, I went through Jubilee, and I was like, well, I bet the Jews didn't include that because it was about impossible. But the Maccabees is where the Roman belief, the Catholic belief of purgatory came from. The Maccabees is, and, and again, it was never considered. Canon. It was never considered genuine, uh, inspired writing from God. The Jews themselves didn't consider it that. Second Maccabees chapter twelve, verse forty-one through forty-five. But that, that's where it is. Is in the Apocrypha. Yeah, that's right. Yes, sir. And you, and you know, one for the for the lay person, and I, I've been a lay person. We. We need not to question what we hold in our lap because when these people sat down and identified the inspired Word of God, it was it was godly people. I, I believe it was divine people sent by God that went through these scrolls word by word, sentence by sentence, right? And identified this is the is the living Word of God. That's right. As a matter of fact, it, in and it was one of our scriptures tonight, Second Timothy three sixteen. It said where it said all 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 of God's word is inspired by He. Right. If you look back, 
You know, a lot of times we bump the English with the Greek. All in Greek means all in English. Right, right. All is all. <coughs> right. That's right. We can't go back and say, well, what does the Greek say? Yeah. When it says all, it means all. Yeah. Because, uh, it's all that minor hill the same. All. Amen. <laughs> it's, it's the inspired word of God. It's the it said that God breathed. Amen. The spirit in this word. Yeah. You know, again, one of the things that you have to look at is, is how did they develop what was, well, how did they determine what was divinely inspired and what was not? And so they, they had criteria, and the majority of it came directly, at least the first foundation of it came directly from the Word of God. Here's how we, the, the books of Moses, Exodus. Um, and so with that, they determined, here's how we consider what. Uh, what is divinely inspired, what is canon, what is the rule of law, I guess you could say, is what that means. And so ultimately what you have is one of the first things that they looked for was what God said in the book of Exodus. He said that He appointed specific men, prophets, that He was going to speak to, to write His Word down. Then whenever you get into places like Deuteronomy, He explains to you, how you will know who is a true prophet and who is not a true prophet. And one of the criteria of what was a true prophet was whenever he speaks something and it comes to pass, you will know that he was speaking on my behalf. And so ultimately, or whenever you had an Elijah that called fire down from heaven to destroy the prophets of Baal, or whenever the, the rain went away, or whatever, you know, basically it was no question that you would know who was appointed by God when it came to prophets. Another thing was um, the apostles. Uh, the apostles were directly appointed by Christ Himself to be the ones that built the church, to be the ones that laid the foundation for the church, to be the ones that taught and trained the church. They were directly appointed by God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, the book of Acts tells us that one of the way, the um, book of Corinthians, Paul said, I came to you with all the signs and wonders of an apostle. In other words, God gave them special power and He gave them special abilities to, to do things to prove that they indeed were of God. And so they had specific um, uh, spiritual gifts that allowed them to, to sh prove to the world that they are who they say they are. And so whenever you see this, um, uh, these um, signs and you see that these people are absolutely without a doubt who they say they are, and what they say comes to pass, then we know that it is divinely inspired. And so it started with the Jewish faith developing the Old Testament canon, and they tried it according to the Word of God. And that's just uh, one way that they done it. Another way they done it was, um, well, the second one was, was the writer confirmed by God? And, and I got scriptures to show you all of these things, but I don't want to spend my time there tonight. Um, the, the third way, does the message tell the truth about God based on the revelation that's already been given? So in other words, if this prophet is not only he has the signs, not only is he able to, um, to speak 
the things that God is saying and watch them come to pass. But at the same time, is He speaking the truth about God that is already lining up with previous truth that's already been revealed in books that are already developed as canon or as the rule of law, divinely inspired? And so that was another way. You can see an example of that in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Um, but there were several ways that they considered exactly what was canon. But the, one of the primary ways was uh, prophetic authority and apostolic authority. That God Himself appointed the apostles to do this, or appointed the prophets to do this. Christ Himself appointed the apostles to do this. And to write this down, they were proven and confirmed in their lives by the work of God in them and what they were doing. The truth that they spoke. Even Jesus Himself confirmed that the Old Testament canon approved by the Jews was indeed Scripture. Go back and look at the Scriptures and you'll see, um, I'll give you just a few of them to show you what I'm talking about. Look at... Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. And these are the words of Jesus Himself. They're quoting Him here. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So there he establishes the first five books of the, of the Old Testament are the law. The rest of them are primarily prophets with some historical narrative in between, uh, the kings, the chronicles, so forth. But he said, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but instead he says, I have come to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Anybody know what an iota is? What's an iota? Second. Hmm? Second. A what? A second. What's that? A second. Sacket? Okay. Smallest letter. Huh? Smallest letter. It, it is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. But it's it, it is um, it means a very tiny thing. Yeah. That's and and you're right. Never heard of a sacket, but yeah. Okay. So basically, here's what Jesus said about it. Until I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What does that tell you that Jesus believed about the law and the prophets? It's all there. He believed wholeheartedly that they were indeed divinely inspired. God directed these men to put this together so that we have the canon of the Old Testament and it is exactly... And Now remember, at this time, the Jews do not accept the Apocrypha as divinely inspired. And, Ju and Jesus does not include them in this either. That, that's a good point you just made right there because they had already excluded. Now Jesus comes on the scene. This is, this is the Son of God. Right. If he had said, look, guys, you're leaving a whole bunch of stuff out over here, that would have been something to examine. Right. No, he didn't. That's right. Look at Luke 24, verse 44 and 45. Luke 24, verse 44 and 45. 
Actually, let's back up. Yeah, uh, 44. That's right. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, excuse me, and on the third day rise from the dead. So there you have another example where Jesus Himself proclaimed, This is the Scriptures. This is the living Word of God, divinely inspired by men that He appointed. Uh, just to show you that, look at, uh, go to Exodus. So you can see that firsthand. Exodus chapter, let's start in verse 7, chapter 17. Well, the canon originally comes from three different languages. Um, it comes from Hebrew, comes from, um, I think it's Aramaic, I believe is the other one, and then it comes from Greek. That's right. But those are the three main languages of the original writings. So Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this. So what did He say to Moses? Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of the Lord. But the, the point there is that God commanded Moses, write. What did he do to John in Revelation? Write. That's right. God is always appointing men. Go to Exodus chapter 24. Well, since you're in Exodus, let's just stay there for a minute. Exodus 24, verse 4. <clears throat> Somebody tell me what that says. <laughs> All right, go to Exodus 34, verse 27. What did the Lord tell Moses to do? Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. The reason why you started out with having the first five books of the Old Testament, which I think we call the Pentateuch, I believe is what they call them, the, the books of the law, the reason you have those is because God told Moses, write it down. He lived it, but at the same time He was telling him, write this down. Write everything down that I tell you. Give it to Joshua. Recite it in the ears of the people. In other words, this is going to be the living and powerful Word of God. And it is going to come divinely inspired from God through the prophet Moses to the people of God. And that is the way that it has always come since. One more place. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. How? By the 
by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us, how? Whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. The point being is that the Bible tells us what is divinely inspired. Jesus tells us that He confirms what has been divinely inspired. Jesus is the one that appointed the ones that wrote the New Testament with the apostolic authority. He gave them the signs of an apostle so that it was proven to the world. They, they actually said in the book of Acts that the, apostles Paul, the apostle Paul healed so many people that the garments that he touched, when other people touched just the garment that Paul had touched, what happened? We see the signs and the wonders of God proving who these apostles were, the authority that had been given to them, and we see that they have given us exactly... Remember, He has spoken to us these last days by His Son. That's the reason why you have the Gospels and all the teachings of, the, 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 of Christ, the life of Christ. And then you have the Acts of the Apostles, how the church was built... And then you have the letters to the church, which was the apostles and writing to the churches so that they understood what it was to be a Christian and how to follow God in Christ, how to live in Christ. So the Old Testament is God speaking to us and speaking to man through prophets, divinely inspired. The New Testament is God speaking to us through His Son, which comes through the Gospels, comes through the Acts of the Apostles, comes through the apostles and the writings to the churches. You know, the thing is, too, we, we still see stuff that they said thousands of years ago being revealed today, how would they know back then? Right. The universe is expanding. That's right. How would these scientists show they're now saying it looks like the universe is expanding out? Look at Job, since you mentioned that. Y'all go with me to the book of Job, chapter uh, 26. Somebody read Job 26, verse 7, and tell me what it says. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. What does he hang the earth on? Let me ask you a question. What is the oldest book in the Bible? Anybody know? What's the oldest book in the Bible? Huh? Uh-uh. You're reading in it right now. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. There's not a book older than Job. And I want you to look at what Job... Now think about it. The oldest book in the Bible is Job. And look at what he said in verse 7. He hangs the earth on nothing. How does Job know that? That's just one example. There's many more. Well, maybe they did. I don't know. If, if God sent aliens to take you for a ride, then I guess that's how he knew it. But, but. You know, but even it, it was, and if my memory serves me, it was something like 300 crosses that it was a Messiah going to come. Right. Even that's right. David in Psalms 22, 16, he said his hands and his feet would be pierced. Right. Yeah, Psalm 22. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere in there. Uh, uh, yeah. The whole Psalm 22 
If you were to read the account of Christ on the cross and then go back and read Psalm 22, it'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. And even Malachi, he said there would be a forerunner. John the Baptist. The prophecies that Isaiah spoke, that Jeremiah spoke, that Ezekiel, I mean, all the prophecies that were spoken. And again, one of the signs that God said, how you will know that a prophet is from me, is when what they say comes to pass. There's no doubt. that. And again, a lot of the Jews were looking at it from the aspect of, well, Isaiah and Jeremiah are talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and sure enough, the Babylonians came in and took it over, and it happened exactly the way they said. So they're looking at it from that standpoint, going, yep, they're prophets of God, no doubt about it, and they confirm it as canon. But we're able as Christians to look back and see it and say, he's talking about Jesus. And even Jesus in Luke 24 said, that they're talking about me. That's what they're talking about. Yes, they're still talking about the current situation of Israel during that time as well, but they were also foretelling what Christ was going to do and how God was going to truly redeem them from their sin, not just from the enemies of this world. Now go ahead. The prophecy, but we also have the history to back eating the prophecy up because it actually happened. Yep, that's right. You got two you know, pieces of evidence right there. You have external evidences. And what I mean by external is people that are not Christians and are not Jews. Uh, but let's look at the Jewish standpoint for a minute. Um, now, Jews don't believe in Christ. Or not the, the Orthodox Jews, the ones that are converted to Christians, they do. But for the most part, Jews do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Yet one of their greatest historians, you've probably heard of him, his name is Josephus. All right, Josephus wrote all of the Jewish history. And yet in this history, he talks about the life of Christ. He talks about the death of Christ. He gives the account of, 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 of Christ and the works. The, Josephus talks about the wonderful works that he did. Josephus actually talks about the miracles that he performed, that he was a great man, even though they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And so we have evidences from Jewish historians backing up the accounts of the life of Christ. You also have um, Roman uh, senators, Roman historians. Um, I wish I could remember his name. I might have it written down here somewhere. These are some notes where I preached a sermon on this a long time ago. Um, Roman historian and Senator uh, Tacitus, T-A-C-I-T-U-S, in book 15, chapter 44, if you want to look it up for yourself, just look up Senator Tacitus in book 15 that he wrote, chapter 44, and he tells the short story of Jesus' crucifixion and names all the same biblical names giving credit to the truth of the Gospels. Now again, he's not a believer. He's a Roman historian, Roman senator. And yet that person outside of the Bible still gives credit to the fact that what the Bible states about what happened to Jesus, the people, the names, everything, he, he backs it up. Now, all of these people, any one of them, could have, could have said, 
no, none of that's true. Jesus didn't do this. He didn't do that. He didn't really this didn't really happen to Him. These people weren't really around. But instead, you have just the opposite. You have external evidences. You have Greek philosophers that you can go back and look at the writings today. Their writings that will back up the stories of the Bible during the life of Christ. So you have external evidences of the uh, validity of the inspired Word of God. They're still digging up. So there's more external they're, evidence. They're showing a few times a year. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, time after time again, you know, another thing, I didn't even bring this one up because we need to get to our question and the answer here in the catechism, but think about this for just a minute. The Bible is 66 books, all right? It has 40 different authors. It is written over a period of some 1,500 years total. It's how long it took to write the books of the Bible. So you think about that. 66 books, 40 different authors, written over a period spread apart by 1,500 years. These books were written in three different ancient languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And it was written on three different continents. It was not written in the same place. It was written, part of it was written in Africa, Asia, Europe. And yet they all have unity with one common storyline all the way through. 66 books, 40 different authors, written over 1,500 years, three different languages on three different continents and yet they all agree together beautifully. One God, one Son, one Spirit. That's right. That's right. There is evidence all around, and I could go on. There's more evidences. I could go on, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that you can trust the Bible, and you should trust it. Now let's go to your, to your um, catechism here and see what question number four says about it. What is the Word of God? Here's the answer. The Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Now notice he didn't say the Old Testament and the Apocrypha and the New Testaments. No, he says that the Word of God is the Scriptures of the Old Testament and the Scriptures of the New Testament. Being given by divine inspiration... The same way he did with Moses when he said, Moses, write this down. And he confirmed it. Wouldn't you say that if you can part the Red Sea and lead a million people across, that God pretty well confirms that He's using you? Right? Given by divine inspiration are the Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Now let's look at the comment down here below the Scriptures. Scriptures is a special word for the writings of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Perhaps you will want to explain that the Old Testament deals with God's Word that before Jesus was born, and the New Testament is the Word of God that came after Jesus was born. And so you have the Old Testament, which is the Old Covenant, right? And the Scriptures of the Old Covenant. And you have the New Testament, which is the New Covenant, and the Scriptures of the New Covenant, and yet they are both given by divine inspiration by God Himself. They are the Word of God. They are the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Infallible means it will never lead us astray 
in what it teaches. Go to um, Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8, and let's see if God will back that up. Now remember, in Luke 24, Jesus plainly said that the Scriptures spoke of Him, the Law, the Prophets, and even the Psalms, right? You remember Him saying that plainly? And so let's just see what the Psalm, in Psalm 17, or Psalm 19, I'm sorry. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8 has to say about it. And actually, let's read a little bit further than 8. We'll start in verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent and great of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What does this divinely inspired author know about the Word of God? That it can lead him, that it can guide him, that it's perfect in all of its ways. It can revive the soul. It can make wise the simple. It can rejoice the heart. It can enlighten the eyes. It endures forever. It is righteous altogether. There's more to be desired than fine gold. There is a warning that comes to your servants in them. There is great reward in keeping them. You see that? And this is what Jesus said was absolutely Scripture that talked about Him. And He confirmed that this was divinely inspired Word of God. And so we can rest assured that when it says it is in the only infallible rule of faith and practice, remember, infallible means it will never lead us astray in what it teaches. Would you agree that the psalmist it tells us that? It will not lead you astray. And there are many more scriptures that speak to the infallibility of God's Word. That it will always lead you right. That it will always warn you when you need to be warned, that it will rejoice you when you need to be rejoiced, that it will enlighten you when you need to be enlightened. It will correct you when you need corrected. That's exactly right. And it is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. So infallible means it will never lead us astray in what it teaches. It is true and does not err. It can be trusted. Faith refers to right thinking and feeling. Remember, it said it's the only infallible rule of faith. So it read, leads you to the right way to think. It leads you to the right way to feel. And practice refers to right doing. And not just thinking and feeling, but it is, it, it is infallible in leading you in your practice and making sure that you are practicing rightly.
We measure our thoughts and emotions and actions by the rule of the Bible. If you have a highlighter or an ink pen to put an asterisk beside of that, underline that a hundred times. Let me read that one more time because we need this today more than we have ever needed it. We measure our thoughts and emotions and actions by the rule of the Bible. Now, is that the way that the world does it? No, unfortunately, our thoughts and our emotions and our actions speak louder than the Bible, right? We know what the Bible says, but we don't believe that it is, in, that is infallible, that it leads us right. Instead, we know what we feel. And instead of trusting what the Word of God says, knowing that it is without error, knowing that it is infallible in leading us in the right way, we go with our own thoughts and our own emotions. And let me tell you something. Look at what the world looks like when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. I think Heidi said it a minute ago talking about when she was trying to say that we trust the Word of God by the change that we feel personally and the change that people can see in us. That's right. I think that that hits that right. Yeah. I, I agree with that. So inspiration means that it is God-breathed. By His Spirit, He guided His spokesman to speak His Word in their language. And since then, we have had that translated in many languages. And let me tell you this. <coughs> we have over 10,000 manuscripts, handwritten manuscripts of the Old Testament. 10,000. That's a lot of copies of handwritten manuscripts of the Old Testament. You have over, I think it's over uh, 5,000 in the Greek of the New Testament manuscripts. And you have over 9,000 in the Latin of original handwritten manuscripts. That's what you have in the original. And they agree together. Now let me ask you a question. Anybody ever played that game or watched that game played where if I were to come whisper something to Sean and then tell him, you pass it down. Yeah. <laughs> How does it end up by the time it gets to Misty? Way off. Way off. Close to what was started. And yet you've got 10,000 of the Old Testament. You've got 5,000 or more, I think right at 6,000 of the Greek and Arabic. And then you've got over 9,000 of the um, Latin that all agree together. What other books? And, and I'm not talking about printing presses. I'm not talking about computers that done this. I'm talking about scribes that did it by hand. And you've got unity in it. It looks like the bottom of a shoe. That's right. So... What is the Word of God? Exactly that. What is it though? What is the Word of God? It's His divine commandments, His divine Word. Mm -hmm. divine. The Scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments being given, as, as uh, Dinah said, by divine inspiration. And it is the Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. It's important you understand that. There is no other direction. There is no, no other rule and practice. We are sole authority. 
is right here. Every bit of it. That's it. There is nothing else. There's not tradition. There's not a pastor or pope. Or It's simply the Word of God. It is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Everything else is fallible. The pope, no matter how holy he is, he is fallible. He is a sinner. You know, I think, uh, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think simply put, it's the will of God to prophecy. Right. That's exactly right. That's right. It's a book of adjectives. You know, really, when we start changing the word, we, we are judging the word. And the word was written to judge us. That's exactly right. Well, most of the time, that's what we do. We spend our time judging the word instead of letting the word judge us. Yeah. That's exactly right. And that's the reason why one of the first commandments was, Thou shalt have, uh, have no other gods before me. In other words, we don't build a God in our own image, because that's what we want to do. We want to make God what we want Him to be. You'll hear people say all the time, Well, to me, God is not... Well, to me, God wouldn't... Let me tell you something. I don't care what God is to you. God is who He is. And His Word is given to us to reveal to us who he is. And he sees it in everything. <clears throat> That's right. Even when you can't see somebody's thoughts. That's right. Alright, next week. Any questions? Any um any confusion? I know that was a whole lot of any confusion. Anything need to be clarified. And just to let people know this is being put online too, all of the lessons, so if you want to go back. And it'll be funny, though, because after you go back and listen, because they can't hear what you're saying. Like when Nathan just said that. I can, I, I can pick up, I raise your mic up so they can hear. Okay, all right. All right, so maybe they'll pick some of it up. But um, You know, Kevin, you know, you go all the way back into Revelations in this, and God gives a warning. Um, anybody that takes away from this word. Right. Or adds to it. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, keep in mind, that was written for the book of Revelation, we, but it applies to all of God's divinely inspired Word. Uh, when John wrote that, he was talking about what was written in the book of Revelation. But the same thing applies to all of the inspired Word of God. So next week, uh, we're going to come in here next Wednesday night, we're going to answer question five. <clears throat> I want to know, how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? And we'll look at these, um, look at more evidence, and we'll look at these scriptures and go through them. I think, um, I think you're going to really leave here confident in the Word of God being the only infallible rule of faith and practice.